Forty some years ago, I watched a, a movie for I think a second or third time. Uh, it's a 1942 classic. You've probably seen it. It's a Disney. Um, I learned a new word though, and I didn't learn it until I'd seen it like the third time. I just assumed it was a real word. And the word was Twitterpated. Do you remember the movie? The classic movie, Bambi. I had no idea that that wasn't a word until I was watching it. It was actually a freshman college group of people watching it together. And man, we were long enough into the freshman year that like, we totally identified with the Twitterpated word. It was like, wow. And then later on in my life, of course, I so felt that when I was just trying to study and learn and understand the, the routines that Gina had. I want to make sure that her path crossed my path, knew her schedule, and just kind of crossed together. We were so Twitterpated. Now... <clears throat> We saw a video about love and we understand the word of Twitter painted because we kind of feel the resonance of the bubbly, good feeling of loving and being loved. That's resonance, where we go, yeah, that's so cool. Now here's the dissonance. The dissonance is that, well, I also know the pain of when I was no longer feeling that Twitter painted. And even questioning and wondering, why is it that we're, we're at this spot? And sometimes I even knew why, and it was just painful. It was reminiscent of a little uh, story of a couple, and this isn't us. It was a couple that, um, if you can imagine driving a pickup truck, and if you were in the car behind them, you, you see them so close together, it looks like one person driving the pickup truck. And this couple had this habit of driving that way all the time. And then later in their relationship, they weren't driving that way. And the wife was reflecting on it. And she was feeling frustrated that they weren't where they were at before. And so as they're driving, she says, what's the deal with this? Look at what happened to us. Look at what happened to us. We used to sit together when we were driving. And the husband smiled, looks over at her and says, honey, I'm not the one that moved. <laughs> right? Now, what we're getting at there, it's not really about um, couple to relationship in that setting so much, and we've experienced that before, is that resonance then dissonance that we sometimes experience in a relationship with God. Now, I don't know that everybody here has experienced that. I'm not sure that everybody here has had the experience where with God they feel twitterpated. With God, they feel so in love and so loved that they can't wait to read the scriptures, can't wait to hear from them. They're just growing and growing. All of life is changing. It seems like all the colors are brighter. The sky is bluer. Everything's more wonderful because God is so good and you just can't wait to get to church, can't wait to get to the small group, can't wait to worship. And then time goes by. It's like, you're late to church. You don't care about small group and I'm not sure about the Bible. It seems kind of boring. That's a dissonance too. And people sometimes go through that. Now, I have no idea where you are at. Some people, they don't even know what I'm talking about. We're talking about, what, so in love with God that you can't wait to, for that? I've never experienced that. Well, that could be a couple of things. It could be that you're only approaching God cerebrally. You're only looking in terms of answering questions and figuring the world out. And it's just kind of a head thing. You never really felt this connection. Well, what I want us to do right now, I don't know where you're at, so I'm just going to ask you, do you remember a time when you felt really close to God? 
where you yearned for more. You felt loved. You wanted to grow, and you did feel really close to God. And if you can remember that time, is that today? Or is it something in the past where it seems more like you were Twitterpated and now you're over it? Or you are feeling this dissonance like, what has happened? What do I need to do? How do I get back to where I was before? Excuse me, I'm still Mother's Day (laughs) dealing with those emotions. So today we're dealing with this topic and we're in this um, series called Bad Advice and we've been looking at Bad advice that sounds like bad advice. How to drift from God. I mean, who would ever give, do a talk about how to drift from God? So we're looking at it in a stark kind of way to see the bad advice that nobody actually says these things, but why is it that we actually live as if we're following this bad advice? How to drift from God. If you've ever been close to God or closer to God, what happened and why are you not... Closer now than you ever have been, and what do we do about it is kind of what we're getting at, but we're going to later on look at bad advice. But we're going to do something first before we get to the bad advice. Jesus actually taught on this process and the various responsiveness or lack of responsiveness or even responding and then failing and drifting away. He actually told a story about this, and so that's how I want to begin today. It starts in Matthew chapter 13, but it's in several other gospels, Mark and Luke as well, and It goes like this. Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, when I usually picture Jesus telling this story, I usually picture him in the wrong place. I usually picture him out in a field and he picks out uh, a farming illustration because he's in the fields with the crowd. But that's not how it went down. He takes a farming illustration. He's on the seashore and the crowds are gathered so near, he actually steps off and asks his fisherman friends to grab a boat and he gets in a boat just off the shoreline and it's this perfect amphitheater where he speaks to a large crowd and he tells the rest of the story and it goes, I'm just going to tell it first and we're going to kind of break it out into what he explains later. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed and some of the seed fell on the path. And birds came, flew, and picked up the seed that fell on the path. And some of the seed fell on the rocky soil. And the seeds quickly germinated in the shallow soil on the rocky soil and grew up. But then when the sun came up with great heat, it scorched the plant and withered the plant. And some of the seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked out the crop. And some of the seed fell upon good ground. And the crop grew up and produced a harvest of a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold of the original seed. And then he said something interesting. He says, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, the disciples are all listening, and they're kind of struggling because they don't get the parable. And, but then they kind of get caught by the fact that it said, he who has ears, let him hear. And so they ask Jesus later, when they're away from the crowd, why is it that you speak in parables? And Jesus gave a really unusual answer, and that's not what today's sermon is about. Today's sermon is about what the explanation is of the story that he told. And then, in that private setting, 
said, that, that one particular parable, the one about the seeds, can you explain that one to us? And he does. He begins to explain it. And so we jump down further in the chapter, and here's Jesus' words in verse 19, Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now, before we proceed, what we're talking about here is the message of the kingdom, the words of the king proclaiming to the people, and this is a message from God, and he's explaining what has happened. Why is it that there's this reaction with this kind of soil condition? There's this reaction with this kind of soil condition. He's actually comparing people and their responsiveness to the message of God. And he's saying some people, their lives are affected like a path. And a path, how do we get a path? What is a path? A path is where the ground where you normally have the seeds falling to hopefully plant things. The path is where people have walked. And they've walked on the path, so they've trampled the ground that would otherwise be really good ground, but the seed just sits on top because it's become a path. And it's become a path because people have trampled the ground. And so we have many people who cannot receive the seed because they have a worldview that has been trampled by other people's ideas. It's been trampled by other people's worldviews. And because of the worldview being hardened against the seed, people now reject the seed. And the enemy is able to just snatch it away before it has any effect. Now, we kind of get the idea, if somebody has a worldview that's anti-supernatural in orientation, science is the only truth, and there is no God, and blah, 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 that miracles can't happen, and you don't really think that, and you're affected by that kind of trampled idea, the message kind of stalls out rather early. There's no openness, and the seeds are not received, and so there's just a rejection. The enemy just takes the seeds away, and they never can have an effect. Then Jesus continues. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. We've seen this so many times around here, and you've seen it so many times in people you know, where somebody responds rather rapidly to the messages of God, and maybe it's sort of this Twitter-pated response. It's like, wow, this is so amazing. God loves me, and he has done this for me. I want this, and they totally get into God right away, and then you watch them, and it's like, where did they go? What happened? And they're no longer into God at all, and it usually goes a little bit like this. So shallow soil, quick germination, they're seemingly excited and growing and feeling all kinds of good stuff, and then maybe their friend said, you're not into that, are you? That's crazy. That's nuts. That's really stupid. Don't get sucked away by them. It could be persecution like that. It might be that she or he was praying about something and God didn't answer, and they didn't know how to deal with the fact that God didn't deliver an answer right then and there. And what Jesus says is what's taking place is it's a really shallow root system. Their roots are too tiny to support the plant. What's a root system? A root system is what happens beneath the surface. Nobody can tell what's happening behind the scenes, below the surface, inside. And so maybe there's no time to develop a root structure in the hidden realm where your trust grows deeper and deeper and hangs on to things you can't see. 
So the sun comes up and scorches the plant and it just withers up and what was such a beautiful, flourishing at first is dead. If that's not drifting, what is it? Where you see germination, you see life, and then it's just gone. They drifted to the point of blah, gone. Then Jesus describes another soil condition. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Okay, let's just talk about this a moment. The seed that falls among thorns. Now, this ground, this kind of soil condition of a person's heart is a heart that is already, now get this, preoccupied. There's weed seeds already there. There's thorns already there. And because the ground is preoccupied by weeds and thorns, now Jesus identifies a couple of common preoccupations that choke out the message of God, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. And so you can be preoccupied with some things about this world that your whole center of preoccupation is such that the word is just no longer important. You're doing all these other things that seem so much more important. And they're not bad things. You're just preoccupied with those things. I totally identify with being preoccupied. I often hear at home or in staff meeting where I'm lost in my own preoccupied thought and I have missed something. Are you listening? And I, my mind goes, oh, I say, what did, what did I just hear? Oh, yeah, and I go back in the recesses, out of my mind mode. I say, think I heard this, and I reiterate it, da-da-da-da-da, word for word. And then they say something else. It's like, you weren't listening. Yeah, you're right. Okay, what did you say? You know, okay, that preoccupation. That kind of thing, but in an intensive way where the center of your life is something else, totally preoccupied and choked out because the word doesn't become the central part of your life. Then Jesus says, here's the condition that's really responsive. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces crop, a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. We have germination. We have a liftoff. And amazing things take place when the words of God take root inside of our lives and then we begin to Act on them. Jesus finishes again with this statement. He says, whoever has ears, let him hear. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do something really weird. You're going to feel weird. Disclaimer, no, claimer. So please participate with me and do this. Please grab your ears right now. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, some of you feel so weird you're not going to do this, but okay, whatever. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay? When Jesus said this, everybody who's hearing has ears, okay? And so he's asking us to do something more than deeply think, okay, oh yeah, this is what he said, okay? Now let him down. We can stop being weird now. <laughs> he's saying, you got to do more than let it get into your ear and then go out the other ear. You got to be more than hear it. You got to be actively listening or this for sure will happen, okay? Are you ready? Hebrews tells it a different way. Hebrews says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. We've got to pay attention. 
He who has ears, let him hear. Pay attention. Don't just hear it. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, I agree with that. No, no. Go beyond that. You who have ears, hear. Listen. And then here's what he says. So that we do not drift away. Now, here's important truth. I'm going to just say it best I know how to say it. Drift happens. Drift is our natural default. Drift happens in every area ever since the fall of the world. Now, we're going to have weeds. Now, we're going to have weeds everywhere. No longer is work going to be easy. It's by the toil of your brow. Why? Because everything is deteriorating. You're going to move from, ooh, perfect, to drift. So you got to work at not drifting. Isn't this true about all of life? Think about this for a moment, okay? How many of you are house owners? Okay, how many of you owned a house from the time it was a brand new house? How long did the brand new feeling stay with you? Three weeks? And then you got to replace something. you got to clean something. you got to work on something. And how many of you own a house or rent a house, and you've been dealing with weeds this week? Okay? Drift happens in all of life. How many of you have bodies? Okay, everybody's hand goes up here. All right? Drift happens. The older you get, the harder it is to keep your body in shape. Drift happens. Everything goes from whole to deteriorate. Right? Drift happens happens. You got to work at not deteriorating. It's not working, okay? And you got to work at not going to the drift mode in our body. I have a truck, and I wash it once a year whether it needs it or not. (laughs) I'm serious, because drift happens, all right? Now, every area of life is like that, including our relationship with God. In our relationship with God, if we're not working against drift, drift is going to happen. So it's not a surprise to me if all of us here, all of us here can think of a time when we felt closer than today. Because drift is the default. But Jesus wants to help us work against the drift. And we hear things like, if you have ears, hear. We must pay careful attention Therefore, to what we have heard. A lot of us have made a decision to work on staying close, staying close. And we understand some of the principles and we need to work this through. So let's shift now. That's a lot of good advice and a lot of good thoughts and good truth. Let's shift to bad advice and things that are not true. I just got to be clear here just in case you walk in and somebody sees the screen. Oh, wow, that's a horrible church. (laughs) Neglect your time with God. Let's teach all about this. Okay, so this is bad advice. Neglect your time with God. Okay? Don't read your Bible. Don't pray. Don't worry too much about attending church. If you're late, it's okay. No big deal. Just drift because you can. Okay? That's bad advice. Nobody would listen to that kind of bad advice, but drift happens. It sneaks in. We live as if it's okay to neglect our time with God. You don't need to raise your hands or anything, but a lot of us, we made a commitment to God, and we understood the disciplines that are required. We understand that, you know what? Drift happens. I need to make sure I spend time in prayer every day. I need to meet with God every day. I need to guard my time with God. I need to have it first thing in the morning. Not just because I'm a morning person, that that is me. First thing in the morning because it sets a tone for the whole day. Now, if you're not a morning person, maybe first thing when you get up, whenever that is, maybe that's not morning. (laughs) Or some people that just give the best part of the day to God. 
And you make a commitment to that. Now, drift is going to happen, and you have to work against that drift where you just start to let that go because that is part of the default. And you start to feel this drift. You start to scoot to your side of the truck. That's the default. So we have to work to scoot back. And so working to scoot back is the godly advice, and it goes like this. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. We want God to come near to us and pull us over. And he says, wait a minute, I'm not the one that moved. You've got to repent. You've got to draw near to me. You come near to me, and I will come near to you. Now, he's actually doing a lot of stuff to cause us to actually want to come near to us. When we recognize we're drifting and we want to come back, that's a work of God that he is doing in our lives, okay? And then James chapter 4, verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So, bad advice number one, neglect your time with God. The good advice, of course, is come back to God, and he will draw near to you. Those feelings will return as he is experiencing and giving you experiences of peace and joy and love, the fruit of the Spirit that comes when you're connected to him. Bad advice number two, hang around the wrong people. Hang around the wrong people. Now, so it sounds like this. Don't hang around with the really strong Christians because they're going to challenge your lifestyle. Don't hang around with the ones that are really close to Jesus because they'll look at your life and they're, they're going to say some things and you're going to feel bad. Here's what you do. Hang around people that just don't have it together. Hang around the ones that are a lot worse off than you because you're going to feel better about yourself. Right? That's a better way to go. Just hang around with all the people that are not doing good. That's bad advice. Now let's go to godly advice. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, let me say what this is not referring to. This is not saying don't ever establish a friendship with a person that's far from God. No, Jesus did that all the time. He actually encourages us to do that. Establish a friendship with people that are far from God. But here's what you don't do. Don't have all of the people you hang around with be people that are far from God. Because here's what's going to happen. Instead of you helping them who are far from God move from wherever they are to where God wants them to be, they will mislead you. You will be the person that's closer to God who starts to follow their act and hang with them and they, you move from wherever you are to where God doesn't want you to be. That's what happens when you're hanging with only the people that are not into Jesus. You need to hang with the people that are stronger than you so that they pull you up. Hang with them, and a lot of them. You need to hang with a group, even if they're not stronger than you, that their purpose is to draw nearer to God and walk with Jesus. Just by that very purpose, you're encouraging one another to lift your game. Godly advice. Hang out with people who love God and walk with Jesus. Bad advice number three. Give in to temptation. Okay, just in case you walked in, this is not my advice. This is bad advice, okay? Give in to temptation. Nobody actually teaches this, but we act as if we're obeying this. We say things like, it's just me. This, this is who I am. I can't help wanting what I want. I'm just being true to me. This is what I want. And these are my desires. I don't want to be a hypocrite and not do what I want. This is me. Just so you know, just like drift, 
is a default. Dangerous desires are a default now in our lives because we're in a fallen world. Even within our own hearts, we have dangerous desires that are a default. So you have to get really good at recognizing dangerous desires that come from the wrong source and the new you in Jesus who has godly desires, hang on to those, say no to the dangerous desires. Stop saying things like, um, well, you know, I can always just ask for forgiveness and then he, he'll give me forgiveness and so I'm going to just do it and ask for forgiveness and then I'm going to go do it again. And we say nobody would teach that, but we live as if that's what we believe. Just go keep doing it, ask for forgiveness because he's going to forgive you and then go back to doing it. And Jesus says, duh, this isn't normal. This is not the gospel. This is bondage with a sticker that says it's good. It's not good. You know it's not good. You don't like even this pattern. You're stuck. I have set you free. And the truth sets you free. So we hide it and rationalize it and do all those things. Give into temptation, that's terrible. Go back to James 4 and no. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Humble yourself, he'll strengthen you. Bad advice number four. Love this world more than you love God. Okay, I'm not good at the sarcasm thing, so I'm going to put the statements on the screen for this one. Here we go. Believe this world is all there is. This world is your home. The time is now. Eat, drink, and be merry while you still can, because tomorrow you die. Live now. Buy stuff. Be happy. Take on more debt. <laughs> Obsess. Obsess over sports and fitness and hobby, anything, as long as it's not God. Okay? Now, I want you to notice something. That bottom line, obsess over sports and fitness and hobby, anything. None of those things that I picked were bad things. Nothing wrong with sports. Nothing wrong with fitness. Nothing wrong with hobby. Nothing wrong with working hard and good job. Nothing wrong with family. Nothing wrong with a, your wife and a marriage. But you can obsess over all of those good things. And if you obsess over a good thing and that becomes your center, the Bible says, now you are in bondage to idolatry and everything gets all of whack. The scripture tells us that the center, your Obsession is not the right word. The center needs to be God. So in other words, if we don't use the word obsession, let's use the word fixation. Our fixation needs to be on the Lord God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And if you do that and he's your obsession, fixation, he's the only one that can actually fix you. And all these other things that get all out of whack and all out of orbit and all out of balance, all of a sudden bring these good things back into balance where he's the center, he is glorified in my sports, he is glorified in my fitness, he is glorified in my relationship with my wife, he is glorified in my relationship with my kids, he's the one that receives glory, he's the one that gives me empowerment, he's the source and he's the means and he's the one I give praise and purpose for, he's the one. And my life then begins to work with beauty and joy and grace because that's good advice. We're going to move to a nitty-gritty prayer. And I'm going to ask you to read this nitty-gritty prayer silently right now and consider declaring it as a victory cry and a cry for help at the same time in a few moments. So read this silently. 
prayerfully, consider this as an answer to the default drift that you are currently experiencing. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to ask you to just ponder what God is speaking to your heart right now, and I'm going to just prod and prompt a little bit. I believe that the Spirit of God has been speaking to you already today. And I believe that the Spirit of God is prompting and prodding your heart to consider your current drift. I don't know what that is, but he's putting his finger on it. And even now, you probably are hearing from him as you're drawing near to him in prayer. He who has ears, hear. Pay attention. Don't just let this message go in one ear and out the other. What are you to do with it? In a moment, we're going to pray. And that's a good first step. What then? What do you need to do then, rather than think about everything, all kinds of things, Spirit of God, impress upon each person one thing, one thing to draw near. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you'd like to proclaim this as a victory cry and a cry of help, because they're the both and the same, say this out loud with me. Ready? Dear God, you weren't the one that moved. I drifted and I'm sorry for the ways I have ignored you. When we are apart, life isn't as good or beautiful. I come back to you today. Thank you for your love. My dear Lord Jesus, thank you for taking my sins away and giving me life through your victorious death and resurrection. You deserve my whole heart. Please fill me with your life and make me whole. I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen?